Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. Be sure to hang around to the end of the episode for a special interview with Tommy. We hope you enjoy today's episode. in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through verse 19. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through verse 19. So we are fast-forwarding some 20 years or so after Sodom. Uh, Isaac's now been born. Ishmael's also been born to Hagar. And Ishmael has been sent out, right? Remember that story? Did y'all cover that? This week at Dog, look at that. Yeah, all right. And so basically... Um, Sarah's like, I don't want them in my house anymore, right? Because remember, y'all remember that story, right? You got Abraham, he's told he's going to have a kid, but he's really old. Sarah's really old, so they literally just laugh. and like, this isn't happening. And so Sarah's like, Abraham, God promised you that you're going to have all these descendants. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take my maidservant, Hagar, and guess what? You can sleep with her. You can have a son. And boom, the rest will be history. Except for the fact that that wasn't God's plan and God's intention. And so we actually know, history's told us, that that created a massive mess for the rest of history. Uh, Because if you trace the lineage of those who are enemies of the Jewish people in the Middle East today, guess where we trace that lineage through? We trace it through Ishmael. Matter of fact, if you were to go to the Welling Wall today and you were to walk up to a Muslim at the Welling Wall and tell that Muslim uh, that it was Isaac that Abraham was going to sacrifice on the mountaintop, they will tell you that you're crazy and they'll tell you that it was Ishmael that Abraham was going to sacrifice on the mountaintop. Uh, and so, um, so we know that's created this whole mess for the rest of history. Uh, and then we also know that Sarah kind of finally goes, okay, I know I'm the one that told you to do this and all this, but I don't really like this lady and her son living under my roof. And so Sarah's like, you got to get them out. And so they give them food and all the stuff they need and they send them on out. And so now here we have Isaac. And so Isaac is is somewhere, it's funny, if you ask the scholars, biblical scholars, how old Isaac was, they'll tell you he was somewhere between the age of 8 and 25. And uh, you're like, wow, that, that helps us a lot. But, but we don't get a specific date on this, uh, but it looks like from what the story tells us about him carrying the wood and doing some other things, you're, talk, you're talking about a teenager likely is what you're talking about here with Isaac. And uh, so we pick up here, and once again, God is speaking to Abraham. God is telling Abraham to do something but this one's a little tougher than everything else he's told him to do. And so we pick up really in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, and we'll start reading. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And God said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. That first instruction had to sting a little bit to Abraham. We know that when Abraham sent out Ishmael, that it hurt his heart pretty bad. He struggled with it. And, and then God tells him, take now your son, your only son. You catch that? Isn't that interesting? little interesting tidbit there. And so then he says, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So here's Abraham, and Abraham's, you know, God calls out to him. He says, hey, here I am. Right? He answers God every time God calls, basically. And, and so he said, here I am. And he goes, hey, take your only son, Isaac. It must have raced through Abraham's mind. Yeah, I used to have two sons. 
And then he says, and do what with the one son? Offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain. So, moving on, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, I'm glad he answered him in that time again, right? Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold him, or behind, behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight and for your word. Lord, as we read that story, it's really troubling. It's really confusing in some ways that, that God, you would call Abraham to sacrifice his son. The reality of it is, is Lord, where we stand here 2,000 years later, it's a little easier to read because we know the results of it. But Lord, help us to track back tonight some 2,000 plus years and put ourselves in the place that Abraham was in. Not knowing what the outcome would be. And Lord, in the midst of there, Lord, help us to see tonight... What it looks like, Lord, to have triumphant testing in our life or triumphant trials in our life. Lord, help us to apply this test of faith in Abraham's life to our life. And help us, Lord, that when we face trials in our life, to respond in a faithful manner as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Bless us tonight as we read your word and as we study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So, that's pretty tough, isn't it? Your son, your only son. You notice he says that over and over again? Your only son, your only son, your only son. So here is Abraham who has sent away one son and he has one son left. And he knows that it's through this one son that God has promised him 
that he will be the father of many nations. And yet here we find God telling Abraham, take your one and only son and go up to the mountain and offer him as a burnt offering. Now there's a lot we can learn from this story. But we're going to wrap it up tonight really in three things that I want us to see about this story, particularly when it comes to this testing that's taking place in Abraham's life. I've entitled this triumphant testing because ultimately we know that the, in the end it is triumphant for Abraham and he walks back down the mountain with his son Isaac. But as it was going on, he did not know that. Right? As it was going on, there was a conflict between the promise that God had made in his life and the command that God was putting on his life. And it was in the midst of that conflict that he's, ta- he's, he's, I'll get it out in a minute. It's in the midst of that conflict that he is facing this trial and this testing in his life. The first thing I want us to see tonight about the testing of our faith is that the testing of our faith is inevitable. The testing of our faith is inevitable. I heard Frank Cox say many, 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 many times, he's the pastor at North Metro, some of your pastor, some of you guys in the room, he was your pastor. I worked for him for a year and I heard him say probably five or six times over the course of that year when I was doing interim work for him, these words, you're either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. That's what he used to say all the time. You ever heard that phrase before? Right? You're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. It doesn't matter how faithful you are. It doesn't matter how obedient you are. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. The bottom line is this, is that God's people will always be tested. There are going to be trials and tests that come up in your life. Now you need to make sure that you understand that there's a difference between testing and trials and temptations right sometimes what we do is that we put those together and we're like oh yeah that's right this is a temptation in my life and God is just doing this to test me or God is just putting me through this trial or struggling with this temptation and and that doesn't make a lot of sense in reality because a temptation is brought about by who in your life by Satan right now Satan doesn't cause you to sin you can't blame your sin on Satan but temptations in your life are brought about by Satan right Temptations in your life are brought about by our worldliness, right? By the lust of our flesh, right? That's what temptations are brought about by in our life. And so when we see a temptation, let's, not, let's make sure that we don't blame God for that temptation. Let's make sure that we don't find ourselves in a place saying, yeah, this temptation in my life, what God's doing is God's trying to, 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 to build my faith through this. And many times what we actually see in Scripture is, is that when the temptation is there, you don't lean into the temptation to try to grow from it. What do you do when you see temptation in your life? Does anybody know? This is where you can talk back. You flee from it, right? You flee from it. But when a trial or testing comes in your life, guess what you do? You lean into it. You lean into it. See, a testing is what comes from God. And the reality is, is that testings and trials in our lives many times seem unreasonable to us. It had to have been unreasonable to Abraham to hear God say to him, hey, your one and only son, Take him up there and put him on a burnt offering, right? 
That had to have been unreasonable. Who in their right mind thinks that that's what he's supposed to do? But yet, a trial, a test of our faith may seem unreasonable to us, but not to God. So we're going to face trials. We're going to face tests in our life. They are inevitable. But the second thing I want you to see tonight is that the testing of our faith is intended for our good. The testing of our faith is intended for our good. If you begin to look at verse 3 down through verse 19, you notice some things that stick out in this passage of Scripture. Notice in verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. Now I don't know about you, but if you're Abraham and you don't know the end of the story yet, and you get told that you're going to go up the next day and you're going to take your son Isaac and he's going to be a burnt offering, I don't think I'm getting up early in the morning and getting ready to go, right? Matter of fact, I think what I'm doing is, is I'm going to have some conversations with God and say, God, is this really what you want me to do? God, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm going to ask that big question that we ask many times when we're faced with a trial in our life, which is the why. Right? You ever ask the why God question? Right? Doesn't the why God question always come when there's a trial in your life that doesn't make sense to you and why you're having to deal with it? And is it okay to ask that question? 100%. Right? God would rather you be honest with him in that moment than to instead be like, yeah, I got this, God. Right? But here what we see Abraham doing is Abraham rises early in the morning, it says. He was ready to go. He was going to be obedient. Matter of fact, as you read down further on, if you notice this, once he does what he's told to do, and even when Abraham, uh, when Isaac is saved, notice what it says there in verse 12. Verse 12, the angel says to Abraham, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So what we see from verse 3 through down, verse down through verse 19 is this. Is we see an immense amount of obedience on the part of Abraham. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what some seems unbearable. Do what some seems unreasonable. And expect what some seems impossible. Stuart Briscoe says this. Abraham reminds believers in all generations that faith in a faithful God will stretch them to the limits of their physical, emotional, social, intellectual, and spiritual beings. But the stretching will serve only to expand their capacity to know God and in that knowing to discover the vast, the vast potential of a life lived by faith. If you turn over to James chapter 1 verse 2 and 3, we read about this. Because in, verse, in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, know this, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I could preach an entire sermon just on those verses out of James, but I'll wrap it up for you and tell you what he's saying is this is that trials and testing in your life produce endurance. And that endurance then completes you. What James is saying in chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4 of the book of James is this, is that trials and testing speed up your sanctification process. 
Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what happens is, is we are justified. This is an oversimplification of what that word means, but it's easy to remember, so I'll state it. To be justified on a very elementary level means to be made just as if you've never sinned in the eyes of God. Right? That is the moment in which we accept, accept God's free gift of salvation. That is the moment in which His blood covers all of our sin. Past sin, present sin, and future sin. Right? But then what we put our, once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, what happens is, is there is a process of sanctification in which we become more and more like Jesus. The New Testament talks about that over and over and over again. And what James does in chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4 is he wraps that up very quickly and says one of the ways that you see that completeness happen. See, that's not a perfection and a completeness in the sense of you're becoming perfect. But it's perfection and completeness in the sense that you're becoming complete in your faith. Is that when trials hit, they're a catalyst for that process. And we see that in Abraham's life. Because when this trial hits and he's tested in his faith, what happens is, is that ultimately we're going to see the same way that when gold is refined, we're going to see what comes out of that process, whether it's pure or impure. Does that make sense? And in here we find him being obedient even to the point that he gets up early the next morning. He's not asking the questions. We find him being fearless. It says that, that the angel said to him, because you have, you, you have, not, you, or because you have fear of the Lord, but that, that, what that means there is that's a respect for the Lord, but yet he was fearless in the sense that he was willing to do whatever God called him to do, right? And the reality is, is that we see a man of great faith. We see a man of great faith because here's what takes place. What takes place in, in Abraham's life is that there is significant tension between the command that God gave in verse 2, which was to take his son up and to offer him as a burnt sacrifice, and the promises of God in Genesis chapter 18. Because go back for just a second. If we're pretending that we're Abraham, you need to go back for just a second. And you need to remember what God promised in chapter 18. What did God promise in chapter 18? Somebody said it up here. Yeah. Father of many nations. You're going to have a son. He says, you're going to have a son. Remember, that's what we said last week. That was when Sarah laughed, right? She's like, we're old. And so here, what we see in this text is that Abraham has been told he's going to have a son. But yet God tells him in the previous chapter, hey, Abraham, quit fretting over it. Do what your wife says. She says, send this son away, send him away. And then literally we start the next chapter and God says, oh, by the way, Abraham, the son that you now have left, go kill him. Sacrifice him. There's tension in that, isn't there? Do you realize that in our lives, that the truth of the matter is, is that many times in our lives, God seems contradictory if we're not careful. You ever found that? You ever found that in your life where you're like, man, but I thought God, God's a loving God. Why would he judge this way? Now, we know the Bible answer to that, right? Because he's just. I get it. But on the surface, that seems contradictory, doesn't it? Right? You ever found yourself saying, but, but, but God... 
I know those people. They are extremely nice people. I love them. They love me. And they just love each other. God, how can you say that's wrong? That can seem contradictory, can it? Now, if you're listening in here or you're listening on the podcast, make sure you understand. I am not saying that God is contradictory. Hold tight. I'm going to get to the answer. It is in the midst of those times where it seems that God is contradicting himself that we must lean into our faith and simply be patient. Right? Because what happens is, is that when we are patient and we wait patiently, it is then that we will actually learn more about who God is. Matter of fact, in verse 5, we know that Abraham was waiting patiently and instead of losing his faith in the midst of what seemed like on the surface a contradiction, instead he trusted God and he trusted his faith because he actually says, look at what it says in verse 5. In verse 5 it said, Abraham said to his young men, because remember he takes a couple guys up there with him to with Isaac and then they're going to go the rest of the way up the mountain and Abraham looks at the other guys and says, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad, so me and, me and Isaac are going to go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now what did God tell Abraham to do? He told him to offer his son as a burnt sacrifice, right? But yet Abraham looks at these men and says to them, hey, hold tight guys, we'll be right back. We got to go have a worship service up on the mountain, do a little sacrifice thing. And then we will return to you. This is not Abraham trying to get out of murdering his son and having some sort of plan to be like, hey, I'm going to make it look like I didn't do it. No, that's obviously not what the case is. What this is is very simply Abraham remembering the promise of Genesis chapter 18. And not just remembering the promise of Genesis chapter, chapter 18, but remembering the fact that, guess what? Even when Abraham tried to take, take things into his own hands, and when Sarah tried to take things into her own hands, God still honored the promise that he made to Abraham. And they had Isaac. Right? They had Isaac. So here's Abraham. He's getting this command that seems to contradict the promise in his life. And what happens is, is he's patient and he continues to trust. And in the midst of continuing to trust, guess what? We see it play out as he tells these guys, hold tight. We're going up on the mountain. We're going to worship a little bit and we'll be back. We also see it in his answer to Isaac. In verse 8, notice what he says there. Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So Isaac looks at him and says, Dad, uh, we got the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham looks at his son and says, God will provide the lamb. Now you talk about a man of faith. I mean, we see this all throughout Abraham's life. One theologian said that if you were to look at Abraham's life, you would see all these mountains of these moments where he was just so faithful. But yet here you would find on Mount Moriah, it would be his Everest. Right? Because here it's where we see 
the greatest, most important thing to him in his earthly life, his son Isaac. That is what God is asking him to part with. And guess what? He holds Isaac with an open hand and says, I'm willing because I trust you, God. By the way, side note, one of the reasons we get in trouble so many times in our walk with Jesus is because what we do is we take the things that God has blessed us with and we hold them with a tight fist. And what God has blessed you with, you've got to be willing to hold with an open hand. Because if you have put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which is what you have professed to do, if you've asked him to be your Lord and Savior, then listen to me. That means everything you have, you have to hold with an open hand. It is his to give and it is his to take. What faith Abraham demonstrated. When we find ourselves in those moments where it seems like God is giving us a difficult answer or it seems like it's contradictory to what we think or what we want to think or how we feel or what we think we know, it is in those moments that we must respond as Abraham responded and be patient and lean into who God is and his promises. And it is in that that guess what? we'll find out more about really who he is. And we'll realize that his plan is better than ours. You know, one of the places I see this play out all the time, it's in relationships between boyfriends and girlfriends or fiancés even at your age. Right? We got one of our churches doing a thing on purity, so I'm going to take a 30-second shot at it for just a second, okay? Guess what? How many times do you see, hear of, or find yourself in a place where you're like, but God, I just don't want to wait. God, you know how much we love each other. God, we're getting married anyways. Right? And it's in the midst of that where what I'm telling you is this. Lean into who God is. Because in that waiting, you will learn more about who God is. And I can promise you, then one day if you do marry that person, guess what? You'll understand why God's plan is better. Does that make sense? Abraham did that with Isaac. He said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. And I'm going to believe what you said in Genesis chapter 18. And I know I can believe it. Why? Because you've already fulfilled promises already. And see, here's how it works with our faith. Any of you guys lift weights? Any of you ladies lift weights? Yeah, I got like one. He's like, yeah, I lift weights. It's like a weird flex going on over there. They even flex. That's guy. We got flexing by. Wow, I should never ask this question. We got guys all over the room flexing. This is wonderful. All right, listen. Listen. Here's the day, yeah, I, yeah, my shirt got a little tight, right? Yes, come on, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Hey, listen, how, how do your muscles grow? You stress them, right? You create that tension, right? And does it always feel good? I can promise you after a leg day, when you got to sit on the toilet and you can't, 
It does not feel good. That's why when I quit playing college sports, guess what? I stopped with leg days. Right? It's just the way it works. Actually, for a while, I stopped with everything. I got up to like over 250 pounds. It's the truth. Then I had to start back. And then my joints hurt so bad, I couldn't do anything heavy anymore. But anyways, that was weird. Um, (laughs) You know what? That stress that you create on those muscles, right? What happens is, is that ultimately it is, it is painful in the moment. And you can say it's not, but it is. We know that, right? But that's how they build and get stronger. It's the same way with our faith. It's the same way with our faith. So the next time you're going through a trial or a test, just think that really what God's doing is he's just putting another 45-pounder on the bar, right? That's what he's doing. So, the testing of our faith is inevitable the testing of our faith is intended for our good and then finally the testing of our faith is intended for God's glory it's intended for God's glory verse 14 says Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it will be provided what we find that Abraham learned something new about God he learned a new name What we know is that he learned this new name, which is the name Jehovah Jireh. It's the Lord will provide or the Lord will see to it. I I like that second definition even better than the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. Right? Isn't that cool? Right? If he said, you know what that means? It's not that he's just going to provide. By the way, okay, um, this is important to recognize. That whole Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, that doesn't mean that like name it, claim it. That doesn't mean, well, the Lord will provide. So you know what, God? Hey, I feel like I need this. Boom, here we go. I know you're going to provide. Matter of fact, the Lord will see to it. One of the reasons I like that definition a little bit more is because what we see here is it's in reference to what? A promise that God has already made. Do you see that? That's important for us today. Because what that means is, is, is that, listen, You may be faced with some sickness or disease or illness, and it may not mean that you're going to be healed from that sickness or disease or illness. God never promised that. But what it does mean is that God will see you through that. Do you see the difference? Right? What it does mean is that, hey, maybe if healing doesn't come in this life, it will come when you enter into glory, right? And so we do need to make sure we understand the difference here. This is not a, yeah, God will provide, boom, God, this is what I need, provide it for me. Your name's Jehovah Jireh, so I'm going to pray in your name as Jireh, and boom, you're going to do it. That's not what this is saying. This is in reference to the fact that God has made a promise, God has been faithful, and God will continue to be faithful, and Abraham understood that. And so Abraham could trust God, and when God comes through on what he has promised, guess who gets the glory for it? It's God that we now know has another name as well, right? It's God who gets the glory It's really awesome when you look at this story because when you look at verse 5 in this story, what you see is that Abraham's intention, as he's going up the mountain here, he's been told that he's going to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he's on his way up the mountain, and he tells those men, not just that they're both going to return, but he tells them what their intention is, which is to go up the mountain and to worship God. 
God. And that's what they do. They worship God by being obedient to God. They worship God by trusting God and being faithful to God and the command that he had given. And in that, God responds according to the promise that he had already made. And in that, God says, whoa, stop. And Abraham turns around and in the thicket, there is a ram. There's a ram. Abraham takes the ram. He takes his son off the altar. And they sacrifice the ram. And boy, I would have loved to have been a part of that worship service that day. Because God had provided. And this spot on Mount Moriah becomes where Solomon built his temple. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? And then you go further and you look in verse 15 down through verse 19. And, and, and God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I want to point out a couple of things here that, that bring all the glory to God as we wrap this up today. Number one, I want to point out the fact that, that God is not making some new promise to Abraham based off of his obedience. This is not a Abraham obeys and so God all of a sudden changes his mind. No, God had promised Abraham this from the get-go, right? So what Abraham had to just simply do, because the promise was already there, is Abraham just had to line up his life with God's will and live out his life according to what God had told him and the, and the commands that God had given him. And then guess what happens? The promise. You see how that works? You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture really of salvation in many ways. That God has promised us that if we believe and repent and put our faith and trust in him, there is the promise of eternal life. There is the promise of heaven. There is the promise of hope after death, right? So what we must do is come get in line with the promise, right? That's all we have to do. That's it. Remember, James tells us that it was accounted to Abraham as righteous before he ever did anything. When God called him out of Ur, the Chaldees, he is called righteous and all he did was trust God. He didn't do anything else in that moment but just believe what God told him. And so the same holds true for us today. And it is in doing that in which God is given the glory. Because it is all what God has done, not what we do. Don't read this story and miss out and go, man, this is what all Abraham did. Look at Abraham, the hero of the story. No, listen. His faith is amazing and he is a hero and he's the hero of the story. But the real hero of the story in this is who? Abraham may be viewed as a hero of the story, but who is the hero of the story? It's God. 
right? It's God. All Abraham was doing was following God. It's God who says stop. It's God who provides the ram. And that's why all glory goes to God when we face trials and testing. And we see that in this story so well because, listen, this entire episode points us to Jesus. Every bit of it. Go back to what Isaac asked his father. He said, Dad, who will provide the lamb? Right? And if you notice, in this story, God doesn't provide a lamb. In this story, Isaac is looking for a lamb and God provides a ram. But when you turn to John chapter 1 verse 29, the answer that we see to the question in verse 7 is really answered. Because in verse 7, Isaac says, where is the lamb? And in John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist looks upon Jesus and do you remember what he says? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that awesome? When you look at this story, not only do you see the, the Lamb of God, this, this type of a Lamb, not the Lamb, but a Ram. But what you also see is the Father and the Son working parallel together. The writer points out over and over again that together they went up the mountain. Together they went. Abraham the father, Isaac the son. And then we see in the midst of this that it was the father, Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice the son, Isaac. Right? But yet we know that Isaac ends up alive. But while Abraham... The father was willing to sacrifice the son Isaac. You can track forward and you find that God the father not only was willing but did sacrifice his son Jesus. And we know that despite the fact that God sacrificed his son Jesus three days later, the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was alive. Now let me tell you two other things that stick out in this story that's really cool. Number one, do you know the next time Isaac shows up on the scene? Do you know the next time he shows up on the scene? Oh, this gets good. It's when he's the bridegroom. And he's about to have a bride. See, Jesus was sacrificed by the Father. Right? He died. He was buried. He rose three days later. And do you know when Jesus is going to show back up on the scene? When the bridegroom is ready for his bride, the church, to call us home. That's good, isn't it? That's some brilliant writing, isn't it? That isn't, this isn't something some human can just come up with. 
No, this is God pinning for us in the book of Genesis as an example of what's going to take place thousands of years later. Do you see that? And here's the crazy part about it. Remember I said when we started, it kept saying, your only son. Y'all remember that? Your only son. Your only son. Hey, Abraham, you're going to take your only son. Hey, Abraham, you're going to take your only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If that don't make you want to shout, there is something wrong with you. I mean, look, we've spent week after week after week dealing with difficult topics, right? And trying to figure out which view of creation and everything else might be right and what matters and what doesn't matter. And if you remember, I told you from the beginning, the reason that Genesis is the foundation of our faith, the reason that Genesis matters, the reason that you can't unhitch it from the rest of the Bible, the reason you don't need to run from it, the reason you can't be afraid of it, the reason you don't need to say, man, I don't want to talk about that with my friends, the reason you need to be proud of what God's Word says from the very beginning, from cover to cover, starting in the book of Genesis, is because right here we find... God's plan for salvation for you and me has been around since the very beginning. And he weaved it throughout the story of history in such a way so that there could be no mistaking who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. So where does that leave you tonight? Well, I'll tell you where it leaves us. One or two things. Number one, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ tonight, it's very simple. Listen, the same way that Isaac carried that wood up the mountain, it says he bore the wood up the mountain, it's the same way that Jesus bore your sins and my sins on the cross of Calvary. See, our sin separates us from God. It always has, it always will. And we see throughout the Old Testament that the, and, and historically, like even in groups that aren't Christian throughout history, there was a basic understanding that blood sacrifice covered sin. Right? And we needed a perfect sacrifice. But we also needed a sacrifice that worked for human sin. And so God had a plan. His plan was His Son, fully God, but fully man, would come to this earth and would die for you and for me. And I got to say that again. Fully God... And fully man. And you can't miss that. And here's why. Because if Jesus wasn't fully God, he couldn't be perfect. And if he wasn't fully man, he couldn't abhor our sins. Does that make sense? So we had to be both. How? 
When the divine meets humanity, there's great mystery, right? We'll understand it one day. But what we know is this, is that because he was fully God and he was fully man, he could hang on a cross between heaven and hell for you and for me. And his blood would be shed and that blood would cover our sin. And he would be the lamb, the perfect lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And because of that, you and I today could put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive us of our sin and to save us, and he will do just that. That is why here in this passage, verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Right here, Genesis 22, verse 18, we see a prophecy of what Jesus was going to do. And you sitting here today, no matter where you were born, no matter where you may come from, no matter where you may currently live, guess what? We all apply to all the nations, don't we? So would you put your faith and trust in Christ tonight? Would you call out to him? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you say, Jesus, I need you tonight. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I turn and repent from my sin. I know it's nothing I can do to earn this, but God, everything that you did when you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me and raised three days later. Listen, if you will call out to him tonight, he will save you. Secondly, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior tonight, the question is this. How are you responding to the trials of your life? How are you responding to the trials of your life? Are you leaning into them and waiting patiently on God even when it seems like it doesn't make sense to us? Or are you questioning who He is? If you trust Him, you will learn more about Him through the midst of that trial than you ever would in any other situation in your life. So for some of you tonight, what the deal is, is that you're going through a trial. You are going through a testing in your life. Uh, the, the biggest one we many times face in our world is sickness and illness, it seems. Maybe it's that there's somebody in your family that's, that's dealing with cancer. Maybe it's that, that you're dealing with some illness that you can't figure out what's going on in your life. Maybe it's that there's some financial stress on your family. Maybe it's just that, man, you're just so overwhelmed with stress and anxiety being here at the University of Georgia that you just don't know what to do. I want to tell you what you can do is you can lean into who God is. And you can trust His promises. And He will never leave you, nor forsake you, and He will never fail you. So what I want to do is I want to pray. The band's going to come. They're going to sing. We're doing one more, I believe. Isn't that right? Yeah? Yeah? I got a thumbs up, so that's what we're doing. So you guys go ahead and come on up here. And I'm going to pray. And as I pray, listen. If you're sitting there and you're like, Tommy... Hey, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, as I'm praying, you pray right where you're at and call out to Christ and ask him to forgive you and save you. And maybe you're sitting there tonight and you're like, Tommy, I just need to trust the Lord. How about you ask him for the grace and the mercy and the peace that you need to trust him more every day? Maybe you need to make this little deal up here in altar and just say, God, I'm dealing with a trial. And God, I need to put this at the foot of the cross because I need to trust you. God, I need to look back on your promises and see how you fulfilled them previously the same way that Abraham did with Isaac. And God, I need to remain true to who you are. So let me pray for us and we'll stand and we'll sing.
Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Abraham and how that, Lord, he's such an example of faith. And, Lord, he's so obedient. Lord, it's not his obedience that saves him, Lord. Lord, it's, it's the fact that you called him out and he was faithful. Lord, he trusted you. Let us do the same today. Lord, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. Thank you for teaching us through this passage about who you are. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for being Jehovah Jireh. Thank you for staying true to what you promise. So for the person that's here today that needs to know you as Lord and Savior, help them to have the courage to call out to you right now and ask you to save them. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for staying with us tonight. My name is Zach, and I'm joined yet again with our campus minister, Tommy. Uh, and man, last night, I know we say it every single week, but it's so true. Just what an awesome night. We had a great turnout. The band killed it. Uh, what'd you think? What'd you enjoy? I tell you, uh, from a band standpoint, I enjoyed the fact that we had a lot of new faces up there. Mm. It was awesome seeing students that just, you know, in the last few weeks uh, joined the worship team and them. Uh, be able to be a part of what we were doing on a Monday night. That was that was really exciting to me. Yeah. So we see, you know, just right off the bat, we can jump into we can jump into this. We see God called Abraham to do something that was incredibly out of his comfort zone. And while this is truly a story of God's faithfulness and a historical record of that, and how much God cares for His people, how much God loves His people, you still can't negate the fact that. This was something that was very uncomfortable for Abraham. He was called to sacrifice his son uh, for the sake of obedience to God. And we see him willingly going and going to do that. At the last second, though, God provided a way out for Abraham where, you know, he, uh, God sent the, uh, the, the ram to come and to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. If somebody is being obedient to God and trusting that God will provide for them, is it fair to say that God will always provide a way out of whatever circumstance, whatever situation there is? Yeah, so I would say to a specific situation and circumstance, that's, an, uh, that's not an accurate statement in the sense that if someone's got a sickness, they're not going to always be healed, mm. right? Um, but what I would say is accurate is the fact that God has already provided a way, and not through a ram, but through, as I said last night, the lamb, the lamb, the son of God, mm. who takes away the sins of the world. And so what I would say is, is that in the story of Abraham and Isaac, you find God acting within uh, a promise that he had already made. And that also holds true to us today. But we don't see today where God promises us that all our problems are going to disappear and go away mm. until we go home to be with him. And so I would say from a salvation standpoint, God has already provided the lamb. He's already provided Jesus uh, to take care of our sin problem. Um but on a specific situation, what I would say is, yes, God's always going to work within the promises that he has made, the promises to be there with us, the promises to see us through the times, etc. cetera. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God's always going to give you exactly what you ask for. And I think a great example of that, even in the Old Testament, is when you look at the story of Job. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, you're so right. Job is certainly an example kind of to the contrary of uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac here. You want to talk just a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so what I would say with Job is that you find a guy who is righteous. Uh, matter of fact, uh, you find you know, Satan going to basically God and saying, hey, I want to test this guy. And God allows that test in his life. Um, but ultimately, despite his righteousness, he loses everything. So mm-hmm. here you have this contrast between a man who was righteous and sort of gains everything in this process and a man that was righteous that loses everything, right? Yeah. And so... Um, in the midst of all that, like you can read the rest of the story in Job and see how all that turns out. And I mean, that's like a six to eight week sermon series, right? Mm-hmm. But you see that God is still faithful to Job. But my point being is that for us today, um, we're not promised that it's going to always turn out with a ram in the thicket. But what we are promised is the fact that there was a lamb that hung on a cross between heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And God always works within his promises. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we talk a lot in the story about Abraham and his great faith, his obedience. Can you talk a little bit about Isaac? And I know we don't see a ton in this scripture specifically about Isaac and what he might have been feeling, what he was going through. But is there anything you want to add to that? Well, I would say that you're looking at likely a teenage boy who's given wood to carry up a mountain, uh, who uh, is trustworthy of his father to the point that there's no lamb and when Abraham says God will provide the lamb, he trusts him. Hmm. And then I would say we don't read anywhere in the story where Isaac is fighting with his dad or anything like that when I mean, he lets his dad apparently bind him you know, up on this altar. And so there's a significant level of obedience uh, from Isaac to his father and honor from Isaac to his father, but also there had to have been for him to trust his dad that much uh, he had to have been taught. He had to have understood. You, you don't want to add to or read into the scripture, right? But there's really no other way to see it than to understand that Isaac m- must have had extremely strong faith in who God was and what God was going to provide as well. You know, I, I love that, and certainly obedience. This is a great example. It doesn't have to come. Uh, this obedience is great faith. It doesn't have to start when you're old, when you have a family, when you have kids. It can start when you're young. It can start when you're a teenager. It can start when you're uh, a college student. And certainly I think that's so applicable to, to our group that you can be strong in your faith. There's nothing saying you can't uh, have that, that level of faith when it comes to you and your walk with the Lord. Um, and I know at the end of the service yesterday, you talked a little bit, little bit about some parallels between the story of Abraham and Isaac, as well as Jesus and his second coming that we read about in the book of Revelation. You want to talk a little bit more about those two? Yeah, you know, um, I think that when you look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, it's pretty interesting that there in Genesis you read about that they were doing this together. They were going up on the mount together. The father and son were together. There's an emphasis that's placed there within the way that that story is written in Scripture. Hmm. And then you can parallel that to the fact that Jesus, the Son, and God the Father are, are working together. You, you see two of the three parts of the, the Trinity, they're working together when it, when it comes to salvation history and the redemption of man. And so um, whether that be a creation where there's clearly God the Father and God the Son present, uh, whether that be at the cross or whether that be... Um, when you turn to Revelation, hmm. uh, I think it's really neat to see, you know, there, there's this, this phrase called typology. When you're, you're studying scripture, uh, we know that's in Revelation. Um, and what you see in prophecy in scripture is that sometimes there is a type of something that shows up on the front end before you see a, a fullness of it on the back end. Okay. 
And so here what you really see is that Abraham and Isaac are functioning as a type of God the Father and God the Son, if I can put it that way. Mm. Um, and, and, and so the ram is functioning as a type of the lamb. So it's going to be better understood through progressive revelation later uh, in us recognizing that, man, this is really a snapshot on the front end of what's going to happen on the cross, and not just on the cross, but even at Jesus' return. And, and I think, just very quickly, uh, part of what the question you asked was was about Jesus' return. Yeah. And I kind of got excited last night because it's interesting because you don't really read about Isaac again. Uh, so what we find is, is Abraham comes off the mountain, and all of a sudden in the next couple of verses, you read like a list of lineage that follows, right? Mm. And, and in there, what, what's going to happen is, is you're going to see uh, Rebecca, right? And then the next time we see Isaac showing up on the scene is really where you see the bride and the bridegroom um, starting this process, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really a cool picture even to see how this was written and see how that it can point us to that when Jesus, you know, Jesus died on the cross, he rose three days later, and then he will return back on the scene when he comes back for his church. Yeah. And we see that terminology used there between the bride and the bridegroom. And so it's, it's really a cool symbol to us of what is to come yeah i love that uh, i know we're wrapping up any other closing thoughts that you have you know i would say this um i i do think and i just want to double down on what i said earlier i do think it's dangerous that when you look at a story like this if you try to universally apply that well what this means is that if i'm obedient god is going to bless me and take away all of my pain and take away all mm. of my suffering and take away all of my hardships that is that is number one so far from the truth theologically hmm. but number two that's a very dangerous place to put yourself you're putting you're setting yourself up to be very disappointed but instead what you see is is that God always works within his promises and that that is where us being obedient and faithful comes into play and knowing that we know that that is true about God because he has previously worked within his promises so for me as a believer when I face a difficult situation what I can do is I can say, you know what, I can trust God because I can look back to a previous instance where God worked within his promises and the things that he promised came to fruition. And so I can trust him that in this, even though it may not be what I want and what I desire, God will see me through it again. And I think mm -hmm. that's really important. Absolutely. I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much for hanging with us. Um, if you're in the Athens area, certainly come hang out with us. We're, we meet every single Monday night at 8 o'clock. It is a great time. The, most weeks we'll have something to do, uh, some sort of activity after gathering. We call it a tag event. So come hang out with us. You might, get some, you might even get some free stuff along with it. But if you're not in the Athens area, check us out on Instagram at UGABCM. We can't wait to see you guys next week. Go dogs. Go dogs.